0: We saw Paul's perspective. He says, for though, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. We talked about it in depth last week. Basically, Paul is taking Jesus at his word because Jesus said in Mark nine thirty-five, If anyone desires to be first, let him, let him be last of all, servant of all. The idea is, in the Christian life, in the Christian walk, The way that you become first is to make yourself last. Evangelism is the only sport I can think of where you win by giving up. You win by giving up your rights. We saw it last time, verses 20 through 23. We're not going to go over it, but I'll give you a real quick synopsis. Paul was winning souls by giving up his rights. When he was with the Jews, he gave up his rights to eat certain foods. If he eats a ham sandwich, he loses his audience, right? If... When he was with the Gentiles, he gave up his right to bludgeon them with the Old Testament, stuff that they didn't care about, so that he might win the Gentiles. When he was with the weak, that is, those who had just come out of idolatry, which was all over the place in Corinth, when he, come out with those, when he was with those who were weak, he gave up his right to eat food sacrificed to idols. Why? That he might win. He gave up this so that he might win these folks that were weak. So he says in verse 19, though I am free from all men, I am making myself a slave to all that I might win then. Now, evangelism, again, is the only sport that I can think of where you win by giving up. And we talked about it. A good question to ask yourself this week is, Lord, what would you have me to give up to win this soul, to win this person that I meet? Lord, what do you want me to give up? You want me to give up time, money. Lord, is, do I need to give up my right to go here or to do this? See, Paul was constantly giving up to win. Now, maybe you're thinking, why would he do that? Well, verse 24 and following gives us Paul's reasons, his perspective. Paul says, this is why I do this. This is why I'm constantly giving up that I might win. This is how I see life, Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, our text today. Do you not know? that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul's talking, he's giving them a very familiar picture to those here in Corinth. See, Corinth was right there in the middle of Greece. This was the very cradle of the Olympic Games. In fact, the second most popular games in all of the ancient world were here, right here in Corinth. If you remember, as we learned, we, we brought a bunch of maps when we were first talking about Corinthians. And we showed you where Corinth was. It was right in the middle of this isthmus which was a very tiny strip of land surrounded by water that connects the upper and lower parts of uh, the continent. They called these things the Isthmian Games, these that were uh, run here in Corinth. Now, legend has it that it started out as just two competitors. At registration, they were calling for the athletes, and one pointed to the other and said, Isthmian him. (laughs) Okay, I made that last part up. But the rest of it is all true. The Corinthians were used to, every other year, they would have this influx of athletes. Guys that would come in, they were burly, brawny, or they were super skinny because they were running the race. There would be this influx of world-class athletes coming into the town of Corinth. Verse 24, First Corinthians 9, verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. How many people have been in a marathon? How many people have been to a marathon? How many people have watched a marathon on TV? A marathon is 26.2 miles of pure drudgery. I've actually run in two marathons, believe it or not. Now, I was not in it to win it. I was in it just to finish the thing. And if you were to go to any marathon or watch it on TV, you will find all sorts of people. You'll find some just like me who were in it to finish it. You'll find some who are in it for the (laughs) t-shirt. At the Boston Marathon, they actually had to, uh, you you have to qualify now because for so long it got to be such a popular event. It was on TV. There would be people that would show up just to be on TV. They would run 100 yards and then take a left and go have a sandwich. Just, they were in it for a minute. But then there's a few, at every marathon, there's a few, a very, very few. Five, maybe ten, who are actually in it to win it. They actually think, they, they know they have a chance to win this thing. Now, I have never met one. By the time I got to the finish line, they'd gone home, showered, had lunch, done their taxes. But Paul says, you know those guys? Those guys who are really super skinny, like with the 3% body fat? Those guys who seem to fly down the course? Paul says, you should run your Christian life that way. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Where he says, do you not know there? It's the word Ido, and it actually means don't you see? Can't you see this? Paul is opening our eyes to the the fact that there is a race, a spiritual race in our midst. The word receives there is lambano. It means to take hold of, to take with the hand, to lay hold of. So Paul really, speaking of our Christian life as a race, he says, Look, don't you see that many people run to the finish line, but only one person walks away from the finish line with the prize in his hand? Paul says, I want to be that person. Paul says, you should want to be that person. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, if there's only one prize and Paul's in this race, then I might as well stay on the couch. Well, that's not what Paul is saying. See, if it were really a matter of just one victor and millions and millions of losers, Paul would not be encouraging us to run. He'd be like, okay, you guys stay right there on the couch. I'm gone. No, We are not, you and I are not competing against Paul, and we're not competing against each other. We are competing against ourselves. See, runners, serious runners, at least as I've I've heard, serious runners carry around a number in their heads. It's called a PR, a personal record, a personal best Like a marathoner, if you talk to them for any length of time, they'll be like, well, my PR is 320 or my PR is 245 or my PR is 218. My personal best is two days. No, just kidding. (laughs) But they carry around this number called a PR, a personal best. Hebrews 12.1, the author, I think it's Paul, by the way, the author says, let us run with endurance the race set before us. And the implication is that the race... Your race is different than my race. Your finish line, my finish line is our full potential. Your personal best. The very best life that you personally can live for God. And by the way, God is paying attention to your PR, your personal record. Paul says here, look, are you in it to win it? Verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. In all things, stop there. The New Living Translation says it this way. All athletes practice strict self-control. The NIV says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Now, the Corinthians totally could confirm this. When they had this influx of, of athletes, when they would come into Corinth, all of these guys, every athlete, when they would show up into Corinth, they were required at registration to sign an oath that says, look, I've been in serious training for a year now, or nine months, or whatever it is. And then they would show up about a month ahead of time, before the Games, and they would put themselves under supervision. They'd be closely supervised, scrutinized, what they ate, what they drank. They would have a strict curfew. It's still this way in the Olympic Games, pretty much, right? Uh, Pretty much it still happens this way. Olympic athletes, ones who are good anyway, are constantly sacrificing... The pleasures of the present for the prize in the future. The pleasures of the present, present, they put on a back burner for the prize of the future. See, this is one of Paul's, probably is Paul's main point here. If you are in it to win it, you will be willing to give up some things. Now, it should be, should be able to go without saying that if you're in it to win it, you will be willing to give up outright sin. Hebrews 12, verse 1, that one we've been looking at, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and then it says, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us endure with endurance, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look, sin, that's a no-brainer to get rid of if you want to run the race. Sin will not only slow you down, it will bring you down. It will take you down. It will trip you up. It will lay you out. But that's really not what Paul's talking about in our text today. Paul's talking about giving up stuff that's actually not sin. Paul's talking about giving up stuff that you don't have to give up to get to heaven. That is the context of chapter 8 through verse 10. Paul basically saying over and over again, look, I'm giving up my rights that I might win. I'm giving up my rights, my pleasure, my time, stuff that I have a right to, that I might win the prize. Now, if you ever have talked to a real runner, someone who is in it to win it, do an experiment for me. Ask them what they eat on an average day but you better have some time set aside. I've actually done this, and it goes something like this. Well, I start with a protein drink at 6 a.m. before my 15-mile run. After that, a banana and two raw eggs. Then for lunch, a lean three-ounce steak. And they go on to tell you all about the fiber that's in oat bran and sawdust and birdseed, whatever it is. (laughs) The point is they have a strict diet, strict training schedule, strict self-discipline. Because they're in it to win it. And you and I, you know, when we ask the question, as we eat our Krispy Kreme donut, we're like, that guy's crazy. I mean, what would drive you to give up so much? I mean, that skinny, crazy athlete then would say to you and to me, it's the prize. It's the prize that I'm going after. Ask any Olympian. You see it on TV all the time. Every four years you see this conversation. What is it that that keeps you motivated? They train for years. They spend their life savings. They spend their parents' life savings. They give up their social lives for one thing, for the prize. I mean, to bring home the gold, to stand on the podium, the victor, to hear the national anthem sung, the flag raised, it's the prize. That's what keeps them motivated. Verse 25, and everyone who competes for the prize... Is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. In verse 24, Paul opened our eyes to the the race. Look, we're in a race. Verse 25, he opens our eyes to the prize. Now, I think you'll agree the prize is pretty important. I mean, when it comes to motivation, the prize is pretty important. If I were to say, right now, we're going to have a foot race from here down to Sonny's Barbecue, and the winner gets some hand-picked wildflowers, we might have a few takers, people that just like to race. But if I were to say instead, the winner gets a million dollars, some of you would be like, I just remembered something i got to go get. You'd be out the door. The prize is a pretty good motivator. Paul says to these Corinthians and to us today, look around you. See all these athletes in Corinth? See these runners, these wrestlers, these guys that look like Adonis? They've all given up so much. They're so self-disciplined. And what is the prize? Some of you guys know it. In ancient Greece, at the Olympics, when you won the prize, this was it. They would bring bring you out, put you on the podium. They would announce your win. In first place, representing Ephesus, Sosthenes. And you would go up. And you would bow down and they would put on your head an olive branch, a laurel wreath. This piece of laurel branch that is twisted into a crown. And for the next couple days, you'd walk around the Olympic village and everybody would ooh and ah. Nice job. And by the time you got home, that thing was wilted. It was dead. People would be like, oh, so you got a a rag on your head there, a weed. Verse 25, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They give up so much. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. I forgot to bring it, but I was going to show you my, my medal, my Disney medal. It's a little shape of a Mickey Mouse, and it's made of... It's not gold. I know it's not that. Maybe brass if we're lucky. But, it, but it's better than a, a laurel wreath as far as durability. But... 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says that there's coming a time when even that, made of brass or gold or whatever it is, he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Here's an application for you. Everyone, I believe, in this room is working for something right now. I mean, you're sacrificing for something. A thousand years from now, the thing that you're sacrificing for, will it still be around? Will it still remain? Paul's point is, look, if world-class athletes are willing to give up so much for a crown that lasts for a couple days, how much more should we be willing to give up for a crown that never fades away? Olympic athletes are constantly sacrificing the pleasure of the present for the prize in the future. That should describe you and me as Christians. Jim Elliott. He was the one who said he gave his life on the mission field by the way he said he who gives uh, he who is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose now what is this imperishable crown that Paul's referring to well several places in the scriptures in the New Testament talks about a crown and every time it's talked about as a reward as a, uh, a reward for a job well done or a race run or something like that. Um, but all Paul, James, and Peter, they all talk about crowns as rewards. Let me give you a quick survey. Second uh, Timothy 4, verse 8. Paul, our Paul right here, says, There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. James chapter 1, James says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. First Peter chapter 5 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. That does not fade away. Isn't God good? I mean, he secures my salvation. I don't have to worry about that at all. Then he gives me a course to run. And if I run it, he gives me the energy to do it. And when I finish, he gives me a crown for the work that he did. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, that's all nice and flowery speech and all that. But I'm good. I don't need any crowns. As long as I'm in heaven, I'll skate in. You know, it doesn't matter if my pants are on fire. <laughs> I'll slide in by the skin of my teeth. If you have run in a marathon, you know, I think they call it the paddy wagon. Is that what they call it? The, there's a there's a, a a van that follows all the really slow people, right? The people who are walking. You know, they they never caught caught up with me, but they I wasn't that far ahead. Paddy wagon, where they basically say, look, it's been like 18 hours. Let's let's wrap it up here. And they they put you in the paddy wagon. Maybe you're thinking, look, I'll just stay ahead of the paddy wagon and I'll be fine. You might want to know this. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, there's a scene that's going to go down in heaven that you're going to want to know about before you decide not to go for the crown. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit. So he, he comes through this door, and look what he sees. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns. There's your word. They had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, look with me now at verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, verse 10 now, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying you are worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created how many people have heard of the band called Casting Crowns I think this is where they get their name the idea is there's this scene in heaven it's an amazing glorious scene and these 24 elders and I think us too anybody who has a crown is going to be realizing, no, it's because of what you did, Lord. And he says that they cast their crowns before the throne. The idea is that part of our experience in heaven will be this glorious event before the throne of Jesus, casting the, thr- the crowns that he gave to us back to him. Trust me, when this time comes, you don't want to be wearing a little paper crown from Burger King. I mean, there's this glorious picture, this glorious noise of clanging crowns as they hit the pavement before Jesus. And you're trying to like throw your paper crown and it will... And what do you say? Well, I just... I wasn't much into the race at the time. You know, I had other things that was kind of important. Verse 26, Paul says, therefore, in other words, that's why, That's why I run thus. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty six, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Paul says, Look, that's why I run in a straight line. And by the way, I think Paul's saying that's how I run in a straight line. I keep my eye on the prize. Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 reads this way Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward pressing forward to those things which are ahead I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's another point. No one ever won a race by meandering by wandering on and off the course. Is that you today? I mean, would you say, well, truthfully, sometimes I'm on track, but most of the time, I'm not. If your life is a meandering on and off course, you can't win. The meandering runner never wins. How do do you stay on the path then? You keep your eye on the prize. This was the very first message that we gave from this pulpit when this... Church first started was from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And if you remember, if you were here, Jesus ran his race with you in his mind's eye, with you being his prize. Now you get a chance to reciprocate, to run the race with him in your mind's eye, with him being your prize. He says, Therefore, thus I run, thus, not with uncertainty. Verse 26, the rest of it, thus I fight. Not as one who beats the air. Talking about the Olympics still, but now he's talking about boxing. Paul says, look, I'm not just shadow boxing. Imagine a boxer in the Olympics. And all he's ever done to train for the Olympic event is shadow box. It's like looking really cool, right? He spends 10 months just shadow boxing. He's like float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. But he never learns how to take a punch. He steps into the ring. He's looking really pretty. He's floating around. 30 seconds later, he's down for the count and his teeth are strewn out like over the canvas like chiclets. He would say to you, "Well, I guess it turns out like to box actually involves dealing with pain and learning how to take a punch. To box involves learning how to interact with people who want to beat you down." <laughs> Wait, that's evangelism. (laughs) Wait, that's life in the church. Sometimes. Here's an application. Maybe someone has taken a shot at you recently. Or maybe they will take a shot at you soon. Whether it's inside the church or outside the church. I hope it's not inside, but sometimes it is. Whether it's inside your home or outside your home. If someone takes a shot at you, consider it training. If someone tries to take you down in someone else's eyes, for instance, consider it training like they're your sparring partner and hit them back. No, just kidding. No, what I'm saying is that I think Jesus wants us to look at the things that happen to us as training, as real-life training, pain included for a future bout that your coach wants you to win. Now, that fits with our last verse. Look at 27. He says, But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. The word discipline there actually means, totally fits, to beat black and blue, to smite so as to cause bruises and livid spots. Like a boxer, one who buffets his body, handles it roughly, disciplining by hardships. And the, the word it says, Into subjection, It actually means to lead away into slavery, to claim as one's slave. Now we're back to the slavery illustration that we started in verse 19. Paul says, look, I make myself a slave to all that I might win. Now, any athlete worth his salt knows what I'm talking about here. How many people, I shouldn't ask too many direct questions here. I mean, people know what it's like to exercise like with a a real goal in mind. Like, you know, like I'm really kind of going for it. Yeah. Okay. All right. There's this conversation that you have with yourself. I know this conversation. Again, not that I'm a world-class athlete, but I know this conversation that you have with yourself. It goes something like this. You're on the last couple miles of your training session or the last 10 minutes of your run or whatever it is. And your body says, That's it. I'm done. Where's the couch? But your mind says to your body, wait, you don't make that decision. I do. See, athletes win when they bring their body into subjection, when they bring it into submission, into slavery. And athletes lose when they let their body decide when they're tired, when they let their flesh rule. So it is with you and me. We learned it in Galatians. When you obey your flesh, your flesh wins and you lose. When you obey the spirit, your spirit wins and you win. Now, this last verse again. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. In the Olympics back then, they would have what was known as a herald, not, not the name. That a herald, the guy who would talk real loud. He was the guy who would lay out the rules for the t- participants, like like the referee in, in our boxing matches, right? The guy who comes and says, "Look, I want a clean fight. Nothing below the belt. No kicking, holding, no biting." Mike Tyson, all that stuff. He would he would lay out the rules. Paul says in verse 27, "What a pity it would be, me being the herald, me being the guy who's laying out all the rules." What a shame it would be is after heralding out the the rules to the runners, I would find myself disqualified. Now, we talked about this in depth because we, we kind of skipped ahead over last Thursday. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. It's a really neat portion of scripture about things that can disqualify you. But it's really important that you know, this is not referring to salvation. We saw that on Thursday. This is not saying that you have to work really hard... To get into heaven. If you are a Christian. If you are going to heaven today. It's not because you tried hard. It's because Jesus said. You must be born again. You can't really do much to be born again. Other than to surrender to him. It's all God's doing. There's no doubt that Paul. And Paul didn't doubt that he was going to heaven. He's not like well I hope I get to heaven. No. He's saying what a pity it would be. If I laid out all the rules on how to get a crown. A reward. A reward. And then I found myself disqualified. What he's talking about, let me explain. The, the last word there, uh, disqualified, actually is in the, the Greek, uh, adokemos. There it is. A-dokimos. E, A e meaning not. And dokimos meaning approved. Matthew 25, verse 23. You guys know the story. The, the parable of the five talents and the two talents and the one talent you guys remember the phrase that was said over and over again? It says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That is dokemos approved. Good job. Awesome. Well done, good and faithful servant. See, Paul is talking to Christians in Corinth. He's speaking to Christians. He's like, like, okay, we're all going to heaven, right? If you know Jesus, you I will see you in heaven. If you are have made him your Lord, I will see you in heaven. But Paul's saying this. Imagine the coronation day in heaven. Imagine for you, because he, there's obviously crowns available. Imagine for you the line of the saints stretched 50 miles ahead of you and 50 miles behind you. And... The hundred saints in front of you, they all get crowns, some more some more than others. But in every case, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. And when he gets to you, he says, well, hello. Good to see you here. Uh, enter into the joy of your Lord. Awkward. I mean, no, no crown, no attaboy, no approved. Now listen, still loved, but no approved. Paul says, I don't want that to happen. Now what did happen with Paul? What happened at the end of his life? You can turn with me if you want to, but you don't need to. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul, who was so concerned about this, made this his goal. He says, chapter, uh, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he's, he's, these are the very last days of his life, and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Did you hear that last sentence? Not to me only. You guys understand? Do we understand there is a crown waiting for you in heaven? At least one. Are you in it to win it?